Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. And so we start a brand new week here on Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Thanks so much for being with us uh, today. Uh, stories about the rapid escalation, the newest surge in COVID-19 cases, hospitalizations in states across the country, but, but certainly here in the South, uh, which has been the epicenter for uh, this latest surge, dominated the headlines again this weekend, as did the uh, continuing calamity of the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. We've been continuing to uh, see these horrible stories, horrifying stories about things that are happening at the Kabul airport where both Afghans and Americans are trying desperately to get out of the country. Um, and we're going to talk about those issues. Uh, we'll talk about the news aspect of them, just the straight-ahead news, and also the political implications of those stories, and a lot more with our panel today. Just to give you the latest figures on COVID in Georgia, as of Friday, the Department of Public Health here reports 1,019,585 confirmed cases total of COVID in the state of Georgia since the start of the pandemic. We're approaching 20,000 people who have died from the virus, 19,179. And as of Friday, there were some 5,151 people in hospitals across the state. So those are dispiriting numbers, to say the least. Uh, let's get to our panel. Jim Galloway is with us. It's Monday, former political uh, columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Uh, now, you can't say you're enjoying a leisurely retirement, uh, Galloway, because you're still, thank goodness, doing this show and still staying and paying close attention to what's happening in the political news of our time, Jim. Right. Unfortunately, you know, uh, COVID does not let you let you retire. Uh, and you, you do have to keep up. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, yet one of the nice things for Leroy Chapman, the managing editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who's back with us today, is um, Leroy, you don't have to worry about Galloway. He's out, of, he's out of your sphere at this point. But it's awfully good to have you here today, Leroy. <laughs> it is great to be here, and it's always great to uh, see my friends in Galloway. Yeah, all right. Adam Van Brimmer is here as well, the editorial page editor of the Savannah Morning News. How are things down on the uh, coast uh, of Georgia, Adam? So, Bill, it's August, so that must mean that it's hot and sticky. And uh, that's the oh. way it's going to be for, uh, for another couple of weeks. I looked at the weather forecast today, thunderstorms every day for the next 10 days. But you know, we'll get through it and, and Hopefully we won't have a hurricane at the end. I'm saying it out loud and knocking on wood at the same time. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us. So we have three distinguished journalists with us, and we're joined by a distinguished political science professor, uh, Professor Audrey Haynes, who teaches political science at the University of Georgia and also oversees the Applied Politics Program, which trains students for careers in politics. Audrey um, are you guys all back on campus now? I'm, I'm not really paying attention to the start date for uh, University of Georgia. We are. In fact, today is uh, the first full week that we'll be in classes. 
And are we wearing masks? Are we distancing? Or are we just all kind of into in this together and hoping for the best? Well, all of those things are strongly encouraged, although we cannot social distance in our classes because uh, the approach um, from USG is that classes are normal in every shape, sense of the word, uh, attempting to be. But um, around our campus, you'll see that there is a very strong effort to vaccinate students. I think they've vaccinated over 23,000 individuals here on campus since, um, you know, the summer um, up to August 13th. And masks are strongly encouraged, um, but we don't see a lot of them. Uh, it, it really depends on the class. Upper level classes, yes, most students are wearing their masks because they know their professors feel um, somewhat uh, insecure, especially those who have young children at home. Yeah. Well, I, please, please stay healthy. Take care of yourself in the middle of all that. And we hope for your students the same thing, of course. Jim exactly. Galloway, um, Jim, we know that across the state, we're returning to the situation in which hospital systems are jammed again. There are few ICU beds, if any at all, at many major hospitals, smaller hospitals as well. Um, there, it's especially, I find it, Jim, you were with us at the very beginning of the pandemic, and although this is going on across the state, when I look at what's happening down there at Phoebe Putney in the Albany area, and think about the fact that just a year ago, uh, a year and a half ago, rather, that was like one of the hottest spots in the country for COVID. We talked to their uh, personnel on the show numerous times, and now they're right back in it in, you know, from March of last year to August of this year, Jim. Yeah, well, yeah, well, as a matter of fact, Sumter County uh, last year was one of the hottest spots in the world. Uh, not, yeah. not just the, not just the nation. And yes, we're back back here again. And it's but I, I'm, I'm, I'm sensing that that the that the uh, vaccine resistance, the masking resistance is somewhat on on the on the wane, just uh, given the start of school. Uh, and everybody understands how important this year, how how important in-person education is. Uh, it, it's uh, we've got an interesting uh, I'm out here in Cobb County, of course. And we've got an interesting situation where over the weekend, uh, the, 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 the Cobb County government really stepped up its efforts. Uh, I mean, it put out a, uh, it put out a, a, a an interesting uh, set of stats uh, from, from Wellstar Hospitals, which is the, the, the primary uh, uh, hospital, uh, hospitalization system in Cobb, uh, included things like uh, uh, as of, as of uh, Saturday, you had 146 ICU patients, uh, COVID ICU patients in, in Cobb, only 10 10 had been vaccinated. Uh, you had 91 patients on ventilators. Of those, only five had been ventilated. Uh, uh, were had uh, had been vaccinated. Uh, and of course, you put out. They they put out a. Uh, with that, they put out a, a an interesting YouTube video. That that was a, it was a bipartisan vi video. Uh, you had Republicans and Democrats just encouraging masking. And and what's what's fascinating about this. Is that is that 
it's 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 very different from way, the way that the Cobb County school system is approaching uh, this. I mean, they're they're uh, Cobb County school systems say that they, they say they're 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 uh, uh, recommending masks, but they're not requiring masks. Uh, uh, that has upset a whole lot of parents, especially given the fact that you've got one hundred and eleven thousand kids uh, in, in that school system. Uh, and it's but uh, so so you've 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 to me to me I I, I like what I'm seeing out of Cobb County government. Well, let's play just a little bit of that YouTube video. You had four county executives, including uh, the sheriff, Craig Owens, uh, the head of Cobb County Emergency Management, Casey Masloom, uh, DA Flynn Brody, and the chief magistrate judge, Brendan Murphy. Let's just play a little of their messaging. I'm urging you today to please get vaccinated. Take it from someone who had the virus, and you do not want the virus. COVID-19 has taken the lives of 1,055 people in Cobb County and affected countless others. Please help us fight this pandemic by getting a vaccine and wearing a mask. I was vaccinated because I know the importance that this has for our family. Having lost three family members to COVID, I want to keep my family safe and everyone around me. COVID continues to spread here in Cobb County. Do your part. Please consider getting vaccinated, and when you come inside, Wear your mask to protect yourself and protect others. So that first voice you heard saying, I had COVID, I know what it's like, was in fact the sheriff and the last voice, uh, the chief magistrate judge, Brendan Murphy. You know, as I listened to that uh, spot and listened to what Jim Galloway was reporting, Leroy, I thought, well, this is not your father's Cobb County. It is over in the school system where there's still a lot of resistance. What you think of as kind of uh, 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 libertarian, if not just conservative resistance. But here you have these county officials um, urging vaccines and caution. And it's just a different Cobb County than it was just maybe five years ago. Uh, Absolutely. And so what you're saying here is uh, as this pandemic has taken on, you know, the undertones of politics, and we've had uh, the political parties, uh, you know, one that has uh, viewed vaccines as being somewhat of a choice. Uh, the other political party, of course, looking at this as a public health issue and uh, strongly, strongly uh, wanting to mandate uh, masks and, uh, you know, encouraging vaccinations. Uh, so what you're saying is uh, the political shift in, in Cobb. So Cobb um, and Gwinnett, uh, as we know, in the last election cycle, uh, there was a really strong uh, uh, shift in terms of uh, from um, Republican to Democrat. And when you go further and you look at uh, the way Republicans are sort of talking about uh, vaccines and masks, it's still the freedom and choice issue over the public health mandate. And so uh, it's it's we're seeing some of this borne out. Uh, interesting to see what if, if that shifts, because uh, ultimately, no matter your political party, if you're an elected official and you're responsible for, you know, outcomes, uh, at a certain point, the public health mandate has to take over. And so will that happen? Will, you know, some of the conversation change or not? But you're right. This is a striking difference between what you would have saw five years ago. Well, partly is because we have some elected officials in Cobb now who are Democrats. Uh, that changed the equation just a bit. Uh, Adam, in, in the spring of 2020, your Savannah mayor, Van Johnson, uh, became the first uh, mayor in Georgia to impose a mask mandate 
uh, on the city. Uh, he was criticized back then by Governor Kemp and other Republicans for doing that. And here we are uh, back in now in 2021, the summer of 2021, and Van Johnson once again became the first mayor to impose a mask mandate again and once again got a lot of criticism from Brian Kemp for doing it, Adam. Yes, he has, and it's hard to argue if you're on the ground here against Mayor Johnson's decision right now. Savannah last week, last Tuesday, hit an all-time high for hospitalizations. 283 people in the hospital between our three hospitals. That's like two or three times what it was at the highest point last year. And I am of the opinion, and I think others share it, that Mayor Johnson's quick actions last spring really helped flatten the curve, which was kind of what the whole point was, right? I think a lot of people, when they talk about the vaccine now and, and mass and other things, they kind of missed the point. The point was was to try to keep as many people out of the hospital as possible. That way the hospitals don't get overwhelmed. And, and the narrative, of course, has been kind of hijacked, as it often is these days, in terms of that. So we are trying to do that again now. Uh, I don't see the receptiveness now that we saw last year. Uh, our vaccination rates in Chatham County are steadily improving, which is, which is very encouraging. Uh, as of Friday, we were at 51% with at least one dose and 44% with two doses. What we're seeing now is, is our surrounding areas. Um, Effingham County, which is our neighbor to the north and the west, is it was really, really bad. It has it has improved markedly the last month. They're now at 37 and 31. Uh, Bryan County, which is our neighbor to the south, is at 47 and 41. But if you go much farther inland into the more rural areas, it gets it gets really it gets really low. Long County, for example, is as 20 and 16 and up until recently was in the low teens completely so you're you've got three hospitals here in town that are basically taking in uh, a lot of those a lot of those folks that live in those rural areas that are getting sick you know they're either going to jacksonville or they're coming here or they're going to macon or they're going to augusta depending on where they are and we're seeing a influx here and then of course we've also had a very very strong tourism season so you have people coming from around the region and around the country and so mayor johnson is, is trying to be proactive again i don't know how effective it is he has talked about imposing new restrictions in terms of pulling permits for outdoor events we were going to go back to you know having uh, you know fall is a big festival time for savannah now a lot of these festivals are outdoors but it is a big time for festivals so all of these festivals concerts symphonies jazz festivals that were planned and approved he is now taking a step back and reconsidering and seeing if we're going to see any kind of a flatlining or plateauing or even a drop in terms of hospitalizations and other things. Audrey, we in the midst of all this, we had an interesting confluence of events late last week. I think it was Thursday. On Thursday, uh, leaders from a number of hospital systems, um, certainly across metro Atlanta, got together and uh, issued a statement in which they urged people, urged people uh, to, uh, to do everything they can to mitigate the virus, masks, vaccines. And on that same day, Governor Kemp issued his executive order banning cities from imposing 
uh, from allowing businesses or, or from what's the right way of saying this, from preventing businesses from being able to impose mandates on their people, on their customers or whatever. I think that's the best way to say it. Audrey? Yes. Well, and we know that Governor Kemp is walking a tightrope between doing the right thing as governor and trying to keep people in the state safe and then also trying to, you know, uh, manage a base that has very strong ideas about particularly mask wearing. But, you know, let me let me respond to that by saying that the messaging is very critical and um, we're in a situation where. Um, it's really hard to cut through a lot of the noise on the pandemic. A lot. I was I was shopping the other day where in a store that required a mask, and a woman walked in and didn't wear one. And she basically said, "Do I have to wear a mask?" The shop person said, "Yes, we would appreciate it if you would." And she said, "But I've already had COVID and I've already been vaccinated." But what a lot of people don't realize is, especially with the new Delta variant, you can carry it. You can spread it. And wearing a mask is really not about protecting you. It's about protecting others. But we are in a situation where, unfortunately, rather than our public health officials out there in the front with a consistent message informing the public, we have a lot of mixed messages. We have a lot of politicians you wouldn't go see for your cancer treatment telling you what you need to do for COVID. And that becomes problematic. Um, Leroy, there's an odd way in which Georgia has, to some extent, dodged a bullet on COVID. And and by this, I mean, uh, Governor Kemp, a year ago, became uh, one of the first governors in the country to reopen everything or or, or much of the state back up, despite the fact the virus was still surging across the state. Um, He's repeatedly taken actions, executive orders, which would uh, disallow cities from using mitigation techniques. Um, and yet we have not had quite the extensive uh, cases of COVID that our neighbors have, like Alabama, Mississippi, for example, um, Tennessee. I mean, and, 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 and there's, a, there's a way in which he has had sort of luck on this, although I will say the Washington Post today reports that Georgia now has the seventh worst rate of new infections of any state in the country, Leroy. Yeah, so so that, that good fortune, which is the good fortune of Georgians and uh, the governor politically, uh, you know, this is a pandemic and such good fortune uh, isn't likely to hold. Uh, and so given where we are with uh, mandates, with uh, our vaccination rates, uh, looking at it comparatively, I mean, there are spots in Georgia where we are, uh, you know, well beyond 50 percent, but there are many, many, many spots in Georgia that are that are that are rather low. And so given that, um, you know, you've got a situation where uh, it, it, it may be inevitable that, that Georgia, if, if it does not uh, take some of the, the actions that others have taken. So when you when you think about the leadership of Georgia. Uh, what we really ideally should be looking at is success nationally. How can we replicate success? I mean, that, that's the gold standard, right? And at this point, the politics have sort of gotten to a point where uh, the message is muddled. And given that, um, you know, inevitably, without replicating some of that success, um, some of that good fortune may, uh, may run out. Uh, you know, Jim. one thing we're one thing we haven't mentioned, Bill, is that uh, maybe as early as today, you could have the uh, 
FDA issue a formal approval of uh, of the two of, of the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines, uh, which which uh, Governor Kemp has called for as a, as a means of, of boosting confidence in there. But what it also might do is is uh, that's 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 the step that I, I think a lot of businesses and a lot of public institutions uh, seen uh, think that need to be needs to be taken before they can start requiring the virus the, the I'm sorry, requiring the vaccine. The vaccine. Uh, right. Uh, I, I mean, uh, and what I'm going to, uh, what I'm looking for is, 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 and maybe uh, Audrey can speak to this. You know, I'm looking for university systems to require the vaccines of, of uh, uh, that require each student to be vaccinated. That would a go a are. long way. Yes. Yeah. A lot of but, them are, but, and, and their campuses are, are much safer. Yeah, Bill, I think what's interesting about this was I was I, I I was at church yesterday and I had to attend all the masses for reasons we won't get into. But, but regardless to say, after church, I had several friends that came up. No, I didn't have to go to church three times because of how bad I'm being. But anyway, um, <laughs> I had a couple of friends come out and, and I'm like, hey, I hadn't seen you in a while. And there was at least three of them and they had all recently had COVID. And I was talking to them about it, and, and it turned out that they all three had been unvaccinated. And we were we were kind of talking about it, and I, and I hate to say it out loud just to kind of give people reason, but I'm thinking to myself, I'm looking at an op-ed from a, local of our lo- a leader of our local hospital who says 90% of the people they have in the hospital are unvaccinated. And, of course, this is a, this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated now. It used to be the most vulnerable were or the elderly and, and those that had pre-existing con- conditions with this Delta variant, it is an, it is a pandemic of the, of the unvaccinated. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, what a lot of the folks that have been holdouts said for so long that, hey, you know, everybody else is getting it, so I don't have to get it. Well, if <laughs> the way this thing is going, we may end up in herd immunity because of that reason. Uh, that is that is not to say you should get vaccinated, but I do find it somewhat ironic that these people who were holding out and saying, well, everybody else is going to get vaccinated, so I'm not going to get it because we're going to reach herd immunity. No, we're going to reach herd immunity because you aren't you aren't vaccinated and now you are catching COVID. So is it worth it to you to get COVID and end up in the hospital for us to get there? Yeah, it's an interesting theory, but I think most public health <laughs> officials are now saying that herd immunity is sort of an elusive goal and isn't likely to happen at all, especially because of the variants that continue uh, to uh, transform the virus as it moves forward. Uh, uh, Leroy, I thought you had a very moving front page article yesterday about a nurse uh, named Carrie Mullis. And, and I want to talk about it just briefly, if, if we can, with you in the panel. And if you don't mind, I'm going to read from uh, the uh, story. Carrie Mullis believes she was put on this earth to nurse, but she's not sure whether she can take the pandemic's toll in her South Georgia hospital anymore. COVID-19 has turned Georgia's chronic nursing shortage into a crisis, one whose effects may be felt for years to come as exhausted staff bear the crushing fourth wave that is building here from the Delta variant. Many COVID-19 nurses with long experience are quitting, moving to calmer jobs, or barely hanging on. And uh, the article goes on to report that we already in Georgia have one of the nation's lowest ratios, ratios of nurses to population. 
uh, job postings are jumping. And as of last week, 11,000 nursing positions across the state are vacant. Um, and more than 1,700 of them are in uh, ICUs. Um, and and, and I, I just want to read one thing. Here's what, one more thing. Here's what uh, Carrie Mullis uh, said. Nursing really used to bring me a lot of joy. Uh, but in the pandemic, many nurses have developed anxiety, depression, nightmares, whatever. A lot of people are struggling with just the day-to-day -day of, is this truly what they want to do anymore? I can't blame the people who have left, and I can't even say that I haven't considered leaving many times myself. Uh, Leroy, a very moving personal story, but also a story exposing this tremendous shortage we have of, of nurses across the state. Absolutely. Um, first, we should all be concerned by this, right? Because when you're talking about 11,000 nurses short, um, go back before the pandemic and you think about conditions of nursing. Uh, this state and others had poured a lot of money in, into training nurses because we, there were two things that are converging. There was a demographic bubble among nurses where you had a lot of them retiring. And you've got an aging population that is going to be in more need of health care. So when those two things are converging, Prior to this pandemic, uh, there was already a shortage and already Georgia in every state was under the gun to make sure that we had adequate nursing. Add the pandemic. And then when you add the conditions of the pandemic, and I say this as someone who obviously has made a living covering politics, but it's another example where politics is entering into a place where it really doesn't belong. So uh, some of the personal stories, too, about people coming in and uh, the issue of just basic medical questions, you know, were you vaccinated, become, you know, battlegrounds. And that is unfortunate that in a, in a hospital, uh, your vaccine status is um, a, it becomes a point of political argument. So, so that's where we are now. The question is, how do, how do we fix it? And um, it's, um, uh, there, there are two, two fronts to this, right? There's, you know, the education front, of course, which uh, we, we've got to get more nurses trained and in the pipeline, and that is a difficult, costly, time-consuming process. But it's also keeping nurses in the fold, meaning that work conditions are going to have to improve, and nurses are going to have to be incentivized to stay. Again, that is a costly process, but certainly that is probably the first front uh, of all of this. And so it was a fantastic reporting by the two reporters. I, I must shout, out, shout them both out. So Ariel Hart and Willoughby uh, Mariano, uh, great reporting. Mm. Uh, but, uh, but again, this is a problem that will persist, and this is a problem that's going to need uh, a ton of investment in order to solve. Uh, i got to get to a break, but Jim, before I do, we, I do think it's fair to point out that Governor Kemp has um, made a number of efforts to try to uh, get uh, create incentives for nurses to come into Georgia. Uh, he's well aware of the shortage, but it, it just doesn't seem to help. He's now actually earmarking more than $100 million for bringing new nurses in, especially to rural parts of Georgia. Um, but if you can't fix the problem on that end, then maybe you got to fix it on the other end, which is doing everything possible to strongly take measures to mitigate the virus, Jim. Yeah, the problem here is is that what you have you have uh, some extreme regional competition because because you've got you've got you've got these uh, tremendous spikes, uh, not just in Georgia but in Florida. Uh, 
uh, Alabama, Mississippi, and they're all pulling from the same same pool. Uh, I think that that story that the, the story that the, that was in the AJC on <laughs> Sunday, you know, noted that 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 there that you've got people recruiting from as far away as the Philippines, uh, where the yeah. where the where the just the the initial cost is you know is is forty thousand uh, bucks. That's that's yeah, to bring that's people huge... from the Philippines here, right? Yeah. 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 I got to get to a break. Uh, before I do, real quick, but speaking of all of this, if you have HBO, I really would strongly encourage you to watch a documentary that they uh, uh, have on the, on the air right now and on their app right now. It's called In the Same Breath, and it's a documentary about the earliest days of the coronavirus in both Wuhan and in the United States and how it was dealt with. Uh, it's a remarkable, remarkable look at the dif- difficult, difficult times that that medical personnel, that people who suffered COVID back in those days experienced. And I, I, I really can't urge you strongly enough to take a look at it. It will give you a really good picture of just how horrifying this crisis has been and continues to be. Okay, we got a lot more to talk about on the show. Back in just a moment. Audrey Haynes, Leroy Chapman, Adam Van Brimmer, and Jim Galloway join me for uh, today's Political Rewind. I do want to turn to uh, the impact that Afghanistan, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, is having on our politics. But uh, as we say in the old TV news business, a couple of pacers, a couple of political pacers before we get to that. One, um, Jim Galloway is the Trump forces are apparently doing everything they can to encourage David Perdue to launch a primary challenge uh, to uh, Brian Kemp. They've got internal polling that their organization, Trump's people did, that shows him as being highly competitive in that race. Perdue's shown, to the best of our knowledge, no interest in taking on Kemp. But it's just a sign of how much Trump wants to get this guy, Jim. <laughs> Right, right, and and you've you've got uh, I mean the 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 only thing we that 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 we've seen David Perdue uh, uh, do or say publicly is to show up at Mitch McConnell's office uh, with the presumption that he's he was being uh, recruited for uh, to to make a a bid against Raphael Warnock uh, for the U.S. Senate uh, next year. Uh, but I would let me let me throw you a little curve here, Bill. Uh, remember, yes. uh, remember, at uh, Governor Brian Kemp is still considering uh, a point. Uh, whether, uh, it's, it's, we, we've got Sonny Perdue, who's who's think wants to be the chancellor of the University System of Georgia. So you've got that request sitting out there, and I'm sure Governor uh, Kemp uh, has a great deal of influence over that's whether that's going to happen or not. And yet his cousin. Is you know at least his, his his cousin's name is being bandied about as a potential rival, and you you have to wonder whether those two things are connected. Okay, well, so here's another thing that's worth thinking about, Audrey. Remember that when Brian Kemp was merely one of a number of candidates for governor of Georgia back in 2018, uh, he won Trump's endorsement. Mostly because the Purdue cousins, Sonny and David, went to him and said, this is a guy that you ought to be endorsing for the job. So the ultimate irony would be if Trump really could convince David to run against his uh, old ally, Brian Kemp. 
Yes, that would. And it shows you in many ways how, how Trump is um, often very unpredictable in where he bestows his his trust. Although one thing we do know is he, he is not as enamored of Vernon Jones as uh, originally, uh, <laughs> for good reason. I saw my first uh, Vernon Jones yard sign, and it was a big one, too. Uh, in a, in, and in front of a house in Buckhead the other day, Leroy, there are Vernon Jones fans out there, but I just don't know how much momentum that's going to pick up. <laughs> yeah, so the last campaign filing showed that uh, they had some money, but they had a tremendous burn rate. So I'd be interested into seeing how much money he gets uh, during the next campaign uh, filing cycle. Uh, so <laughs> are there Vernon Jones fans? Well, uh, he's got a lot of Twitter followers, I'll, I'll at least say that. Uh, will, there be, will they be voters? Uh, I think that's the real question, and I think that there's a calculation we're seeing among Republicans who think that there won't be as many voters that will follow. Adam, you are more than welcome to weigh in on this, but I'd also like to uh, ask you to start us off on another conversation, which is Marjorie Taylor Greene was at the Iowa State Fair uh, that, of course, has been a traditional launching ground for candidates who want to run, people who want to run for president of the United States. She apparently got fairly good response from the crowd. She had a reasonable number of people, maybe a lot of people, following her around. Uh, she did pull-ups to uh, show the crowd how strong she is. Um, what should we make of MTG going to the Iowa State Fair? Adam, uh, I've given up trying to figure out what we should make of, uh, of Representative <laughs> Taylor Green. I, I will say though that, that maybe we need to maybe we need to think in terms of combining both of those questions. Is if Marjorie Taylor Green was really serious about a higher office run, she might want to start with governor. So if we could have a, a Taylor Green versus Kemp next next spring, that would probably help her profile as much as anything else down the road running for the, the highest office in the land. Um, Audrey, I, Brian Robinson, our old friend, uh, tweeted about that the other day, and I responded by saying, yes, I've covered many Iowa State fairs when President Richard Gephardt, President Paul Simon, President Michael Dukakis, President Pat Buchanan, President Al Gore, and others all visited the Iowa State Fair. <laughs> Yes, everybody goes, and um, one of the things about Iowa is it's it's quite fickle, um, and they do take their politics very seriously. So, but let me just say this does capture what has really changed in presidential politics: that the notion that someone who is a House member, a new House member who isn't even on the committee, mm. has the the notion that they can run potentially for a presidential seat with no experience, not a high-quality candidate. And it's because of social media. It's because of the ability to create this aura of celebrity um, around an individual so quickly and so easily. Uh, the other part of that, just building on what Audrey was saying, is is, is that uh, the last decade has, has also kind of changed uh, po uh, political fundraising to, to a huge, huge degree. It's now about national name ID uh, and the, the, the stigma of, of raising money beyond your borders is, has just disappeared. I mean, Stacey Abrams is an excellent example of that. And in, 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 in some way, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is, is, is emulating uh, 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 the Republicans' favorite Democrat. 
<laughs> okay. Um, Leroy, one last quick little story. Then we're going to take a break and come back and talk about Afghanistan and its impact on Georgia politics. Um, pretty astonishing figure uh, released the other day from federal data. 95% of Georgians are registered to vote. And, and apparently the few who aren't are people who, for one reason or another, having uh, criminal records, being in prison, whatever, are not allowed to register. And I suppose we ought to say that it was back in 2016, this wasn't a legislative action. In 2016, Secretary of State Brian Kemp's office uh, declared that when you go for your driver's license, you will automatically be registered to vote as well. Leroy? Yeah, that is has been a powerful tool to put Georgia uh, ahead of, of much of the nation in terms of registered voters. And so when you think about Georgia's future as being a state that is a, an emergent battleground state, uh, if you think about even uh, closer to that, if we're looking at the governor's race next next year, uh, it, it's it's amazing to, to think about uh, how many people are, are registered. Uh, the participation rate, uh, of course, is going to be pretty key because uh, it, it's still going to be who can get your voters out. Uh, and also, too, of course, we have a new voting voting laws. Uh, but still, that is very good news for anyone who is thinking about um, the, the fundamental questions that we've had over the past uh, few years about voting, about uh, who uh, can and cannot vote and whose access to the ballot might be challenged. Uh, this is good news. And uh, there is some irony here, right, because uh, it is uh a Republican Secretary of State, uh, and uh, what happened there uh, being key to this. And if you look at social media, I think a lot of folks said it was Stacey Abrams and her uh, <laughs> and her organization who who bears uh, most of the responsibility. When the most powerful tool, of course, it was the tool of government and not necessarily the political organization there. Um, of course, Audrey uh, Kemp himself during his governor's campaign, um, w- when he would be attacked by Stacey Abrams, the fair fight people and all for trying to suppress uh, the vote, uh, that was their comeback. Are you kidding? We have more people registered than ever before, and that's largely uh, the doing of the Republican Secretary of State, Audrey. And not only registration, but, you know, we're ahead of the game in a lot of states for early voting. We've been doing it um, longer and probably better. I mean, the fact that you were able to get your absentee ballot online and just put in your driver's license number. I mean, the for all the positives and negatives, when we weigh things with the Secretary of State's office, overall, in the end, the outcome has been we do have more people participating. And for the organizations, it gives them an opportunity to do one key thing, and that is mobilize voters. And that's really where we're going to see the difference. Registration is a big hurdle. After registration, the next part is getting people out of their chairs um, and, and voting. Which I think, Adam, is certainly where the Abrams organization, Fair Fight, can take a lot of credit uh, for, in fact, uh, increasing uh, voter turnout participation in the elections, uh, at, in, in, uh, e- even if registration was accomplished by, by uh, uh, driver's license, automatic registration. Sure, sure, absolutely. And, and the interesting thing will be in the next, in the midterm cycle, whether we see the same kind of turnout, right? Because I think there was some uh, other factors in this last cycle, I think you saw a lot of Democrats, uh, a lot of 
of people that maybe weren't traditional voters or people that, that traditionally didn't come out and vote, come out and vote just whether it was a referendum on Trump or, or uh, what they were seeing with the social justice movement and all of that. So, but it is really, really good to see that the registration numbers are that high, but it's not as easy as just this thing. We got everybody registered now. So, so they're going to come out to the polls, uh, especially with some of the other things we have going on coming out of SB 202. Audrey, real quick, before I get to a break. Um, I was just going to mention that this is why redistricting is so important because great, everybody can vote, but if you're voting in an area that's been gerrymandered so badly that your vote doesn't matter, then it's a moot point. Okay, we're going to take our second break. As we do, news just broke as we do this show live on Monday morning that the Food and Drug Administration has granted full approval to the Pfizer coronavirus vaccine for people 16 and up. And uh, as Jim Galloway suggested early on, it will be interesting to see if this gives more reason for the vaccines to be uh, more widely uh, accepted and whether businesses will use this as an opportunity to require vaccination. All of that now in the mix. Uh, And we'll wait to see what happens with the Moderna vaccine soon. You're listening to Political Rewind back in a moment. Leroy Chapman, the uh, chaos, especially in Kabul, especially around the airport where people are trying desperately to get out of the country, continues. So does the fact that apparently Taliban soldiers are going door to door trying to identify Afghans who worked with American forces, threatening uh, to kill family members if they don't turn them over. It's a terrible, terrible situation. I want to read you one quick note from The New York Times. Um, The headline is Desperation as Afghans Seek to Flee a Country Retaken by Taliban. On Saturday morning, a former interpreter for an American company in Kabul plunged into a mass of humanity outside a gate at the Kabul airport with her family in tow. Uh, They go on to say that as she was desperate to secure a flight out of the country, the crowd surged, the entire family was slammed to the ground. People trampled them where they lay. The woman recalled this just hours later. Someone smashed her cell phone. Someone kicked her in the head. She couldn't breathe. As she struggled to her feet, she searched for her toddler. The girl was dead, trampled to death by the mob. Just a terrible scene unfolding there. And uh, yes, the humanitarian crisis there is, is awful to think about. But there are political consequences, Leroy, and and I think we should spend a few minutes on just what impact we think this might have on the election cycle. I know it's still well over a year away before the November 22 elections, but if the Biden administration is being, if their confidence in the administration because of Afghanistan, because of COVID, Uh, escalates, it could cause problems for Raphael Warnock and others like him, or do you think I'm wrong? No, it definitely could. And uh, what we're seeing now is a crisis, unlike um, many we've been able to see, uh, I guess, in our lifetimes. Uh, We're looking at two decades of war. We're looking at it come to an unfortunate, uh, messy uh, conclusion. And what we're seeing is uh, it's in real time. So the ability to see this in real time, of course, it has political implications because uh, there are two things at work here. One, we're, we're seeing it and living it as it happens. Uh, two, it, uh, it happened 
on, on uh, President Biden's watch. Um, the president ran uh, with, uh, to, and he, he, he basically ran uh, on the premise that uh, his experience and uh, in foreign policy, especially with the strength of his, uh, that he could restore, as he constantly talked about, uh, you know, where America's standing with the with the world. Uh, so he was running as the sort of the anti-Trump, uh, you know, on the position that uh, that uh, President Trump uh, had, um, you know, lowered America's standing in the world, and that maybe he was mishandling some of these issues. Well, you know, now that it's come to a conclusion and it was going to have to end, uh, he happens to be the president who's going to have to, you know, take the the brunt of the criticism for the way uh, this thing has unfolded. So, yes, uh, definitely uh, lots of ammunition for Republicans. We're seeing it. Uh, if you look at the Sunday shows just yesterday, uh, some of the Republican acolytes uh, who, who came out, and, and, and if you listen to Nikki Haley uh, yesterday, uh, and this is someone, of course, who was in Trump's administration or in her job as a U.N. ambassador, and uh, she spoke in a way that uh, clearly sort of, I think, tells you where Republicans will go. Uh, they pinned all of this on Trump, on, I'm sorry, on, on President Biden. Uh, they talked about uh, him and his experience with this. Uh, if you go back to his time in the Senate, uh, all through the, uh, the administration, uh, you know, he's had a front row seat here, and the way this unfolded uh, is not to anybody's liking, of course. Uh, yeah, you know, it's... Uh... My family and I were uh, were were out to dinner on Friday, open air, uh, and we ran into a, a family fr- uh, a family friend who's an airline pilot who had just returned from Frankfurt uh, with a with a load of refugees uh, uh, bringing them back to the United States, and and and. And well, well, I agree with Leroy that that it it poses this does pose a problem for Biden and 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 Democrats on the confidence issue. I also see Republicans uh, pretty much uh, uh, negating their their own opportunity here because because when you when you when you criticize Biden for for uh, for abandoning Afghan uh, allies, which is which is the kind of the gist of 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 uh, the criticism against him, and then oppose the resettlement of those same refugees, those same allies in the United States, you you, you undercut your own argument there. And I think that's what we're going to be seeing. Uh, uh, th- that's why I thought it was very notable that that Governor Brian Kemp. Uh, decided that that he was that 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 Georgia sh- would be accepting a, a a reasonable number of 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 uh, uh, evacuees from Afghanistan. I think that's an important point, Audrey. Um, this situation in Kabul, especially, will eventually calm down. We, uh, clearly, something will happen. Uh, the president says, "I absolutely will get Americans out of there. I will get." Uh, people who supported us there out of the country. He's considering extending the deadline for getting the troops out. Maybe we'll put some more in. So down the road, now's not the moment, but there are people who are starting to remember that under Donald Trump and his big advi- and his advisor Stephen Miller, they reduced the uh, uh, refugee quotas into this country, and they slow walked the effort to allow. Uh, Afghans who had worked with American troops to get into the country. And at some point, although this isn't the moment, that will be a, a Democratic talking point to counter all of the attention now on President Biden, yes? 
It will, likely. But again, you know, images and the rhetoric that's being used and the repetition of using those images will probably, you know, negate some of the, the truth. But, you know, I would argue that at this point, you know, what has happened in the last two weeks, as horrible as it is, will not be as important to Biden as what happens in the next two weeks, how they handle um, what's going on there, how it what I mean, what eventually occurs, because in reality, I talked to a friend of mine who is a very high upper level um, military operative, and they all have said, you know, in order to accomplish our goals, we probably would have needed to have stayed in Afghanistan for 50, 50 more years. And Afghanistan has a really riddled history because it is in a really critical area of the world, and it has been invaded and had multiple wars. But for Biden right now, and I will say this, um, foreign policy often is not the critical thing people um, look at when they're making decisions in the end about how they vote for the president, uh, especially right. when you have so many crises going on at home. So if he does a better job, you know, and again, he's saying the buck stops with him, but the onus of some of this mistake was our intelligence agencies who said this likely wouldn't happen for at least, you know, a year, and it happened rapidly. Adam, let me give you a last chance here before we run out of time. I think most most of the ground has been covered, but one thing that has really kind of struck me about this whole situation, going back to your original uh, comment about Raphael Warnock and, and how the Democrats have reacted to this is, I find it interesting that, that none of them or very few of them are actually justifying the actions that President Biden took, and, and which is kind of a complete uh, turnaround from what we saw in the last four years where uh, when President Trump did something that was unwise, you would see a lot of uh, the majority of Republican lawmakers rally behind him. And I think that really that's that's troubling to me because I just uh, we've talked about it before, but this whole this whole cult of personality that's being built behind President Trump and the Republican Party is 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 pretty damaging and it's interesting to see that the democrats are are uh, taking a little bit different approach all right i'm adam van brimmer gets the last word in today's political rewind we're completely out of time adam thank you for joining us from savannah morning news uh professor audrey haynes i see you on webex looking like can't we talk longer no audrey we can't we have to give way <laughs> to NPR News, Jim Gall. But thank you for being here, Audrey. Jim Galloway, Leroy Chapman, a real pleasure to have both of you with us. Um, throughout the week, we're going to be talking a lot about politics, but I want to point you to Friday when Bill Feige, Dr. Bill Feige, truly one of the great heroes of public health, the man who eradicated smallpox through the campaign that he created, will be here. We'll talk about the virus with him and the history of vaccination, which is really fascinating. So stay with us all week uh, for Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Take care. Stay healthy. Wear your mask inside. And now that the FDA is approved, uh, Pfizer, go get that vaccine. See you all tomorrow. <laughs>